0: Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome. With me today on the line is Stefan Drew, the marketing magician himself. And Stefan and I have been bouncing some ideas and talking about some of the things he's been doing recently with his marketing that are a little bit different and um, you might be able to learn something from. So welcome to the show, Stefan. Hi, Ian. Thanks a lot. So um, one thing you've been doing, which obviously is a huge shock and, and, and very painful for me, is you're not doing as much email marketing as before. Tell me about that.
1: Well, it's a bit of a change, isn't it? Because, I mean, you're you're the email guy and I'm saying, hey, look, forget this email. But no, the very sp- particular uh, situation I'm in, I do still have one email list for a lot of my small and medium-sized enterprise type clients. But most of my work, about 90% of my income comes through the education sector. And for years, I had a big mailing list. Um, I'd spent time building it, all the usual ways, plus picking up the phone and saying, what's the email address of your principal and head of this and head of that? And It was a really good mailing list. But it, it had a problem. And that was that within that sector, everyone used to put on their business email address and then they would move jobs about every four or five years. So I was getting between 20 and 25% attrition rate each year mm. of people just disappearing off my list. And trying to rebuild that list was really, really difficult. I had to, you know, so much hassle. In fact, I got to the stage in the end where I employed uh, a virtual assistant to go out and actually just telephone all these people and ask for the email address. But, of course, you go through to a reception and a telephonist who doesn't want you to put you through really when mm. they know who you are. And we tried all sorts of tricks. But, and we, It worked, but it was costing me thousands of pounds a year to keep an email list up. So I thought, what else can I do? And I came up with a no-email solution, basically. <laughs> and that is to write a regular column for uh, a recognized trade magazine or website. In my case, in the education sector, uh, there are two big websites these days. One publishes a printed version of, of their magazine or paper, and the other one is, is wholly online. And I thought, well, if I can write a regular column for them, that actually gets me in front of all the people that I'm trying to get to without me bothering to email them. Mm. It really is that simple. But in some or
0: ways, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same principle in that you're keeping in contact with them on a regular basis. You're providing valuable information that's going to build credibility and trust. It's just you're not emailing them directly. They're getting it in um in in the, in the form of this column you're writing, which they're being informed about by email anyway but the 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 list is being managed by the magazine itself
1: yes, because what tends to happen is when someone moves job? because they still want to keep in touch with that magazine, they will update their address with them. Mm. they suddenly think, oh, I haven't had anything from the magazine, or I haven't been online recently. And by, by virtue of that, they actually keep the list up to date automatically. And of course, as you said, the magazine actually do send out a lot of stuff to them. Um, to the readers. So each week something goes out and says, you know, read the latest five stories top. In fact, we call them exclusive. We write an the exclusive column uh, on a topic and they say, right, you know, read the latest exclusives. Um, and then there's social media being used as well. And the great thing about that is it gives you even better credibility, great, great authority in that other people were sharing those. Um, posts that you're writing. Um, and in my case, it's organisations like City and Guild, Examination Body. Now, when someone sees that they've shared it, and it's gone out to their huge list as well, actually you get far more exposure than my little list of you know, mm-hmm. four or 5,000 people ever got to.
0: And what sort of what sort of articles are you writing for them?
1: Oh, I, I'm, I'm trying to steer away from being conventional and writing the usual sort of blurb that everyone writes. Mm. I found a lot of people write... Accepted wisdom, really, mm. I tend to fight against accepted wisdom where, where it isn 't very wise <laughs> and i 'm <laughs> a little provocative sometimes i don 't want to sort of really stir people up a lot, but I want to stir them up enough that they actually come back and sort of say hey that that, that made me think that intrigued me that 's worth following up in actual fact." And, of course, you will upset a few people. You always do. But, actually, they were never going to be my customers anyway. Mm. So, I'm not too worried. That always sort of excludes them, filters them out.
0: And so, you, you kind of – I think, I think that's really important when you're writing for someone else's publication, actually. Because I'm sure there are lots of articles in, 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 the, in the magazine, in the journal. And probably most of them are, as you said, the accepted wisdom. Um, And people just tend to kind of glaze over when they're reading the same thing again and again, just regurgitated in different formats. So yours is the one that probably stands out for them the most. And and maybe not for everyone, but for the people who gel with that point of view, who, it you know, gets them to raise their eyebrows or a little light bulb goes off. It it really makes you stand out by writing something a bit more controversial, a bit more different or or railing against what um, is accepted non-wisdom in this case.
1: (laughs) And, and it's surprising how many followers you have that you don't really know are followers. So a couple of weeks ago, um, I had a phone call saying, Would you come and speak at an event in Scotland? Now, I've moved to the south of Devon uh, recently, right down on the south coast. And it's quite a long way to go, but I looked at it and thought, Well, you know, will I have a long time? Decided to go because I could catch a plane there quite, quite easy. It's easier to get to than, than many other places. Um, and when I got sort of talking to the guy, I said, well, why did you choose me? You know, you've, you've actually got a lot of speakers coming in today, huge event. Um, why me? And, they, and the guy said to me, well, quite simple. I read your column every week mm. and I like it. Um, and you really made me think about it. And I think you're the sort of person we need to, to talk to the, the staff, students and um, employers in this region. So,
0: you know, it works. So it's all part of this kind of general principle that you can use with email. You could use, I guess, with a podcast, with a, a regular video show. It's a, just like in the kind of entertainment world, if you're regularly communicating with them. So if you're Oprah, if you're, you know, Judge Judy or Seinfeld or whatever, so you are, you know, forever in people's living room or on their computer screen or, or, or you know, in their hands, you become familiar And if you can stand out a bit, in your case, you've done that by being a bit controversial and and sharing some different points of view, they'll remember you.
1: Absolutely. As you know, you you and I have had beers together, so you know I don't look anything like Judge Judy or anything like that (laughs) at all. (laughs) But, yeah, you need to stand out a bit and you need to be in front of people on a regular basis. Um, The the accepted way of doing things in this particular magazine website is to write an article about once a month. I found that wasn't quite enough for Mm. me. Um, so I'm writing them every two to three weeks now, um, but not forcing it. You know, If I've got nothing to say, I just shut up. Um, but sometimes you see a, an article, or in my case, within the sector, you will see a government papers come out about something, and you suddenly think, hey, I've got an angle on that. So sometimes I can read a, an article and spend a few minutes, usually go for a walk and think about it, come back, pen an article, and have it off to the magazine in you know, a few hours of having read the original. Mm. And with luck, that could be published within a day or two. I mean, on occasion, I've actually had it published within a few hours of reading, reading the original article that I've responded to.
0: And so the obvious question at this point, then, because if this could be quite attractive for people to try as a method, how did you get the gig in the first place? How did you get to write for a relatively prestigious publication in your, in your particular field?
1: I tried something very simple. I asked if I could. (laughs) (laughs) Let let me explain that a bit more. Um, What I did was to contact the editor, um, who at that time I didn't know, and since he's become actually quite a good friend, uh, we drink beer together, so I'm into sort of drinking beer with people that I like. Um, But originally I just emailed him and sort of said, look, you know, I think there's one or two things that are being missed in your magazine, on your website. Uh, you know, how about this angle? They weren't talking a lot about marketing, and obviously that's my main mm. area of interest. Um, and I've got a few ideas. Would you be happy if I were to pitch those to you formally uh, or write an article? What, what, what approach do you want me to make now? What do you want to do to accept my stuff? Um, and is there any particular topic within marketing you'd like me to write about? So I really give them lots of opportunities to to, to see my writing. Mm. Um, the outcome was that he said, well, let's just pen me an article, 500 to 1,000 words, um, send it over and I'll take a look at it. Well, he took a look at it and it was published very, very quickly. Um, I think the advantage was that I understand the the industry, this particular sector, particularly well. And mm. I know what actually hurts people and what's making them think. And one of the other things I've done over in recent years, and I do it a few years, is I'll contact people that I respect in the industry and say, you know, what is it that's keeping you awake at night? And that question, you know, it's not, not what's of interest to you at the moment, what's really worrying you? What's on the agenda for your next staff meeting or senior management team meeting? What's the top item? And I can usually guarantee you to know what it is, but I'm never quite sure mm-hmm. because, you know, we we can all think we know, don't we, but this sort of confirms whether we're right or wrong. And um, most of the time I've been proven right, but a few times I've suddenly, you know, they've come back and said to me, X or Y is, is problematic at the moment. And I thought, oh, i would never guessed that. So it's given me contemporary uh, issues to address.
0: And so you use that insight as to what was kind of hot right now and, and worrying people yeah. right now to, to guide you to that, especially that first article you sent him to make sure that you made a great impression initially. And he thought, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that the, from the other other side, he thought, actually, this guy's got his finger on the pulse. He knows what my people yeah. are worried about.
1: Yeah, it's almost like you've talked about in the past of surveying Mm. uh, an audience. And I think that's really important. You've got to profile your audience to to know who your audience are, who the readers in my case will be. Um, Because just pitching something out there and writing something that may be of interest to the editor and myself, but if it's not interesting to the the people that are reading that magazine, then obviously you've wasted your time because you may get that stuff published, but you won't get any feedback from it and you won't get any business from
0: it. So I'm getting the gig, I guess, was an example of uh, applying hustle um, into 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 getting more exposure, getting getting your your word, your message, your communications out there. And that's actually something you've done on a regular basis ever since I've known you. And there's no one I know who's been featured on the media quite as often as you have. You've been in the national newspapers quite recently. You're forever on the BBC, on radio, ITV all sorts of places um overseas radio as well as, as far as i remember um and it's not an accident um you know you're not you're not you're not like aaa in the telephone directory that people look you up first it it's that you've gone about making sure that you do get these calls so what what's your kind of overall strategy how do you make sure you get featured um in the in the media so often well there are several ways of doing it. I'll start with a very, very simple one.
1: It, it's the least effective, but the easiest to do to begin with, to, to get yourself out there. And that's as soon as you've got any sort of thing of, of interest to the readership of a particular um, newspaper, magazine, listeners to radio, TV, whatever it might be, is to write a media release. Uh, media release is really easy. Just once on a 4 you get a story written on that in a particular format that journalists accept. It's a who, why, what, where, when and how mm. uh, in the first two sentences and then you just develop that and the, you know, just go out and Google how to write a media release right. little those templates I'd that use. That's the easy one. That's how I started I suppose um, but going back back into the, well, the late 1980s, um, I got a job as a marketing manager for a particular organization, it was a, an agricultural college and I wanted to get on the radio, get the college on the radio, not so much me but the colleagues on the radio on a regular basis. So I approached my local BBC station who had a, a morning farming program, that, that takes you back many years, but <laughs> most, most, most stations on the BBC had a, a regular uh, agricultural program in the morning. Um, now most of them don't, but I approached them and, and, and in actual fact what we then did was I would pitch a story every time something interesting happened, mm. um, and very often they were, they were almost sort of to me non-story, I remember on one occasion we 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 imported a particular type of sheep into the country from France. And at the time, I think about 500 were imported into the country that year. But we do, were the only ones who told the media about it. Mm. And, you know, importing a sheep, a ram into the country, um, it's not a really good story. I think it's a non story in many ways. But it went mad. To the extent that we got on BBC World Services, um, they sent it out. Um, Central Office of Information sent it out as well, so government body sending it out Um, I think we were featured in 57 international newspapers Um, we even got the story about the sheep on the front page of an Australian newspaper, the Sydney Chronicle
0: What was was the essence of the story Stephen? Why was that unusual?
1: Well, the essence of the story was that we'd actually imported this particular ram, um, this male sheep, into the country to crossbreed with English breeds to produce leaner meat. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of a hint of a story there, the health angle back in the 80s, Mm. you know. But would it go worldwide? You wouldn't expect it to. But it sort of goes to show that sometimes, you know, the the, the media's a bit funny. They'll take things that you and I don't think are stories, so you've got to keep on pressing. The button yeah. and Keep sending these stories out. Um, and I used to sort of, not bombard, but I would send out at least one media release a week um, in those days. But something I thought might interest, um, another one we did at the time, which went on BBC Road Service, was we started a gamekeeping course um, at the college I was in. Now, there was already one of these being run in the country already, but and most of us in the, in the industry knew about it. But no one had ever told the press. So when we started the second one, we just said, We've started it. And it was a sort of Lady Chatterley's lover angle, you know,
0: <laughs> and there's
1: all that. And, but it went out right in the world. And it was all this that started me to realize that actually getting in the media isn't that difficult if you have an angle. Mm. So over the years, though, it's changed. I, I no longer bother to send out media releases very often. In fact, I looked at my website a few days ago, it was sort of just doing a bit of spring cleaning on it and realized I haven't sent out a media story in over a year. It's something I used to do on a weekly basis and it's over a year. But these days it's different because people now contact me. Mm. I don't have to pitch stories any longer. If there's a contemporary story in the paper in the morning, if the Nationals carry a story, um, you'll often find that the radio stations then cover that story with their local angle. Mm. So what I find then is that they'll pick up the phone and phone me because they know that as a marketing person, I'm very likely to have an angle on the story and be able to make comment. And once you get once or twice used like that by particularly the BBC, um, they have this sort of little black book, as it were. It's probably a a digital little black book (laughs) these days where they keep the names of all the people that they can interview Hmm. that are prepared to be interviewed at short notice. And... I suppose to give a good story, mm. complement their, their programme, make it interesting for listeners at
0: that time in the morning. Because that's the thing with a with radio show especially, they need lots of information, but they've got very tight deadlines. There's kind of, you right. know They wake yeah. up in the morning and they've got maybe a couple of hours to get an interview done um, that they can broadcast.
1: Yes, absolutely. Very short time spans. Uh, occasionally I'll get sort of you know, four or five hours warning. Or sometimes it will be, well, can you do one tomorrow morning? Um, but nine out of the ten, it's, can you do something at all, and if if you say yes, it could be, well, we could take it live in a few moments, you know, or after the, or after the next news program or just before the next news right. program, you know, the, the news break, and it can be very short. What I do tend to do there is, if it's a story I'm, I'm happy to comment on straight away, then I'm, I'll do that straight away, but often I'll say, look, you need to give me to 10 minutes just to prepare, and I'll go and Google the story because I want to read what someone else has said mm. at my angle. Um. And let's face it, it's not that difficult to read a newspaper a story and have an angle on that, whether you're a marketing expert or not. You'll have an opinion. And actually, that's all they're looking for, is an opinion. Ideally, from someone making can quote and say, oh, in my case, or oh, this is the marketing magician. But actually, anyone that's got some sort of credibility, and that could just be the person in the street, as it were.
0: And when you say an angle, what kind of things are you looking to do with the stories? Um, you know, are you looking to... Um, bring in some of your own experience? Are you looking to challenge it? Or does it just kind of occur to you as you read the story?
1: Um, it usually just occurs to me, and I'll have a, a, a view on it. I mean, sometimes the papers will phone, um, or the the radio station will phone, and they've got an angle they want to prove or disprove. They want someone to verify their view. Right. And there have been times when I've turned around and said, no, that's not the case. That's not what I think at all. And, and we've agreed that I won't go on the programme. Mm. Uh, occasionally I've actually said, I don't want to do it at all. Um, there are some stories you just really don't want to get involved in, you know, when they sort of, well, I've had one situation where there was a murder and I was asked to comment on it um, and, uh, in terms of social media and people being um, lured in, you know, and, and that. And No, I find it quite distasteful. when I wasn't going yeah. to comment on that. Yeah. Um, there are people who will and people are better qualified to do that, but not, that's not me. Um, so, it really depends on, on what I think when I read it. And actually, often the paper will look for um, one person for and one against or another point of view. For example, I had um, a newspaper contact me not very long ago asking about um, J.K. Rowling's How Much Money She's likely to Make in the Future. No, she's not writing books. And I had a view on that, was put my point of view. And the, the newspaper seemed to like it because they published it. And that was a national. Um, on other occasions it would be newspapers uh, or, or, or as I say, on other occasions it would be um, radio stations or occasionally TV.
0: And do you, do you try and frame the angle so it kind of leads people to, you know, knowing uh, about you in marketing and marketing and picking up the phone or do you just use the piece to get in the public eye?
1: I just use it to get it in the public eye. I think once you try to sort of manipulate it that much to get someone to phone you afterwards... That you're trying to serve too many masters at once.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just too too difficult. I'm, I suppose if I was clever, I could do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but I think no, some.
1: I mean, I use a authority, basically for yeah.
0: credibility. Yes, I think sometimes where sometimes you do get these things where someone will be interviewed about something and it's so obvious they're trying to twist it into a sales pitch yeah, yeah. that it doesn't no. go down so well. That's not what you. Yeah, I don't think no. it goes down well with the journalists either.
1: No, um, no it doesn't. And you don't, you don't get asked back.
0: Yeah. If you if you've kinda of twisted um, what they're asking you, though,
1: you can utilize the whole sort of process for so for example if someone were to phone me this evening and say, Well, look, can we do an interview tomorrow on X then I'd say, Well, do you mind if I actually put something on my website about the fact I'm appearing on your show tomorrow? Mm. And it's very, very rare for anyone to say no to that because obviously we'll get more people listening to their mm. show ideally. Um, so I write a blog post and say, oh, this tomorrow morning I've been asked about X and I'll be making comment on the such and such a show tomorrow morning on BBC radio, whichever radio station it is. Um, and that means I can get in front of my, my list, as it were, and they they might listen to it. But I can also write an angle afterwards and say, well, this is what I've been asked about. And these these were my answers. But I can add supplementaries as well because clearly when you're interviewed like that, you know, a three-minute interview is a, is a long interview, and a, a seven or eight-minute interview would be an incredibly long interview. Mm. So you can't get everything in, but you can add to it and then reflect upon it over the weeks to come as well.
0: So your audience gets more, and I guess some people might, you know, go on Google and look and search for you in relation to that topic, and then they would they would find the article.
1: Yeah, and one thing I do have a sort of a, uh, a sort of tacit agreement with the BBC is that if I go on. And it works ninety nine percent of the time. I'll say to them, oh, if you just introduce me as the marketing magician, mm. and they'll often close with that as well. But that so you get a
0: marketing. little bit of branding in there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest, it's because no one will remember my name. <laughs> <laughs> it's human nature. People don't. They don't yeah, remember names. So right. remember a tag like the marketing magician or whatever it might be, um, and that way, of course, they can Google you. They can find
0: you. Yeah. And so, so in terms of getting, you said that at this point in time. The the you know journalists will call you because you've established a reputation for being able to reliably provide a good quote or a good interview fairly quickly. Um, how did you get into that position? You were doing um, media releases early on. Is there anything else you did that got you visibility yeah. with journalists?
1: There there are a few websites around the world um, where you can actually list yourself as an expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, in most cases, being an expert is verified by the fact you pay money to go to the <laughs> website. So, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a little cynical about it. Um, um, the one in this country is extremely good, the one I use, um, expertsources.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, run by someone who's worked in the media most of his life. He's been an ITN producer and director. He's been a journalist mm. on some nationals, and that, that guy, Bob Bills, who I, I respect greatly.
0: So um, he knows what the journalists are looking for. Really, he knows make what sure they're looking for. It, yeah. And, he,
1: and he, you know, this particular site works on keywords. So you'll put keywords relevant to your authority, ability, mm. interest, knowledge, whatever, in there with, with some details about yourself. And journalists will go looking for, you know, whatever it might be and they'll they'll type those keywords in and up comes a whole list of people that are expert or claim to be experts in that field. You can designate whether or not you're interested in doing written material, TV, radio or whatever and sometimes of course I get people just phone me up, they're just doing research Mm -hmm. Uh, and nothing comes up. Sometimes they're doing it in terms of they want to pitch a story to a newspaper. A lot of freelancers will do that. So there is a bit of sort of wastage there but it's never really wasted because those people know you. Yeah. And you're in their book and you're ready for the next time. And I've had two or three situations where that had happened originally. And then you suddenly finally come back and say, well, can you give us a quote about X, Y, or Z? Right. And you appear on some very, very good um, websites that are literally worldwide. So I've been on websites like My Hermes, Experian, a whole range of organizations like that that you'd normally not think of as being sites that i would i would pitch to myself hmm. i mean you know a courier site no it's not something i would pitch for but they do carry business information
0: hmm. and so so you so you use websites like expert sources i think one other thing that again going back to what we said earlier about having a bit of hustle um, i remember a story you told me about when the berlin wall came down yeah. and because you got onto your local media um there do you want to tell us about that
1: yeah, sure. I, I was I was very, very fortunate. We, we, we all think we you know, every day is history, isn't it? But we rarely sort of look out the window and think, at the moment the, the bit of history I'm living through will be, you know, remembered forever. But I happened just to be in Berlin the night the wall came down. And I was at a party actually and suddenly look the T V was on in the corner. It was one of those parties where the T V was on <laughs> for some strange reason. And we knew that things had been changing. People were coming around the end of the wall and such, like in, you know, back then mm-hmm. in 1989, it was November. Um, but suddenly, there were people on top of the wall, and we heard that the wall had opened. Uh, yeah. People were being that through from East Berlin. And I'd been into East Berlin only the day before. And it didn't look like the wall was going to come down. <laughs> <back>. <laughs> so we all bundled in the cars and taxis and goodness knows what else, and drove into the city centre and lived the life and, and, and was part of it. I went to East Berlin and had a beer and came back again thinking oh, <laughs> that was a stupid thing to go into the valley. Might have closed the gate and kept <laughs> I was on the wrong side. I mean, seriously, I was frightened at one stage and suddenly thought, I've done a very, very unwise thing here. But the next morning, it suddenly dawned me on me that he was a media opportunity. It was an opportunity to, to actually get on my local radio station, which as I explained earlier, I was doing sort of farming programs with anyway and knew the people there. So I picked up the phone literally a call box, you know, there was no, no mobile phones back then. Uh, went into a call box, phoned them, and said, "Who's covering the story in East Berlin, uh, in West Berlin, for you?" And they said, "Well, the BBC have got a correspondent there, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, we're carrying clips of this that, and the other thing." I said, "Yeah, but who have you got in the station uh, in in Berlin?" And they said, "Well, you know, we're a small station. There's no way we've got anyone there." I said, "You have no." <laughs> 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 explained the situation, and within minutes they interrupted the program that was on and I was being
0: interviewed from a call box in Berlin. And so, and, and in a way, it doesn't matter that it's not, nothing to do with marketing or anything like that. No. You're doing no. two things. One is you're getting your name as an authoritative source of information out there um, to, to the public generally. But, of course, you're establishing relationships with the journalists and the yeah. people at the radio station as someone they can call when they need something.
1: Yes, and also someone that you can call. Um, I worked in another agricultural college years ago, where I wanted an outside broadcast from the from the college to to raise our profile. Mm. And normally, if you approach them, they'll, 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 they'll say no, nine to attend. Yeah, they could only do one outside broadcast on a Saturday morning. So There's only 52 Saturday mornings uh, a year, and and are you're limited. Uh, I was able to pick up the phone and say, look, in three months' time, we've got this event, an open day. We 'd love you to come along, even if you can only just pop in for five minutes we'd love it and Because I knew them and they knew that I gave them value for money, mm. then they agreed, and they said, right we'll do six interviews during um the, the, the time where the three or four hours we are there, so I laid on twelve interviews rather <laughs> than actual facts, we had a fallback. I furried them around this huge farm, making sure that there was someone in front of them at the right time all the way through um And they said to me, well, that was really great. You know, in a few years' time, we'd like to come back again because we'd never go to the same place twice, Mm. uh, two years in succession. But six months in, I thought, well, what the hell? So I I, I picked up the phone one day and said to the producer, look, you are going to come back to us, aren't you, next year? Because we made your life easy, didn't we, really? And he said, well, you did, you know, and yeah, okay, we'll come again. Well, they came for three years in a row. Mm. Three years I worked there, they came every year. Um, so that was sort of building that rapport with the journalists.
0: And I think that that's a really important point because especially when we're, we're so used to working online now and relationships are kind of more transactional with journalists, it's that rapport that in an emergency, when they need something, they can, they know they can reach out and call you and you'll do something good for them. And therefore you can kind of ask favors back in return. It's still very much a, a personal business in that world, I think.
1: It is, and you've got to sort of bend over backwards sometimes for them. I mean, I've had phone calls in recent years, in the last one, five or six years, when I've been on holiday. And it's easy just to say, oh, I'm on holiday, I'm not doing it. But sometimes you've got to just say yes, and holiday or not, just take that interview. Yeah. And it's, I've, I've done some interviews from a really fascinating place. I did one a few years ago from a Portuguese palace. And I walked the grounds of this Portuguese palace, you know, and just did the interview on my phone. Mm. Um, another one I did um, paddling in the sea uh, in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Early one morning, I paddled in, in, in the sea. The sun was coming up; it was beautiful. The sun had just come up, and it was it was really lovely. But you know, I was on holiday, and you just couldn't make that effort mm. sometimes.
0: And of course, the other thing that, that's instructive there is, is going back to this thing about hustle. That there were probably hundreds upon hundreds of uh, of British people um in berlin at the time the wall came down maybe even thousands but i suspect there was only one who got in a phone box and called his local radio station the next day and got out um, and got broadcasting so uh it's a matter of you know noticing opportunities and then taking advantage of them um and opportunities build on each other you know you take advantage of an opportunity a little one and you've got a new contact and then that contact can be used later yeah yeah
1: absolutely and just make that effort you know and, and just go for it and, and just look for opportunity. Um, as you say, there are there are countless opportunities out there. And it really brings me into another angle in actual fact, just, just thinking as, as we're talking. One of the things I do is what I call um um jackpotizing hijacking something that's happening in the news and mm. then putting out an advert right uh, about that. Um, or um If I see a story that I want to put my own angle to, putting something on the web then about a local story or a national story, and maybe putting that in front of journalists. So you don't have to wait for them to come to you. If you've got an angle, put something on your website, Um, or these days even, you know, because we're in a visual world today and video is so much easier, then just record something and send to a station. If you think about what a radio station wants, they, they they're very much into sound bites. So an interview that lasts sixty seconds is is good for them very often. So if you just record something and send it to them and say, oh, "I've got an angle on this. I've recorded it. If you would like to use it, please go ahead." Um, and case, do you do
0: you record it as an interview, kind of with you answering questions, or
1: um, I record it in the terms of. What question might be asked? I just give the answer. You know? Right. Um, so I give a series of answers of things that they might want to ask me.
0: Ah.
1: Um, um And of course, today you can do that as video and send it to the local TV station. Brilliant. So I mean, I know in your office you've got a, 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 a camera set up, haven't you? Um, all the time. It's quite easy to turn around, and yeah. look at the camera, say a few words about a particular story, and email that off to a TV station. That takes minutes, basically.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, um, and of course, lots of the time they won't pay attention, but sometimes it'll click.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And once it clicks the first time, then you're good value. They'll like to look for you again.
0: Yeah, and, and suddenly you become their kind of go-to person, get, getting absolutely. into the situation that you're in now where people will contact you and you, it's much, much easier to get on the media. Stefan, that has been really, really handy. Thanks so much for that. If people want to find out more about you, about, about um, you as the marketing magician, um, where should they go?
1: Well, I'll give you just one website. I've got several, but one, and that's stefandrew.com. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-D-R-E-W.com.
0: So they can find some of your work there and, uh, and of course, then explore around all, all your other stuff. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Been a real pleasure as ever.
1: And um, thank you, Ian.
0: Cheers.